Hey, well, thank you. It's good to be back to see so many of you again. Uh, it's especially good to see an old friend, Julie Anderson. Uh, haven't seen Julia for a while, so good to see her. And uh, thank you for uh, welcoming Lorene and I back. Uh, we always enjoy the opportunity to come down and be with you. And I, I just... Um, when, when Pastor Jason asked me if I would preach, uh, I said, is there something particular you want me to preach on? He said, well, I'm preaching on, and he told me what it was. But he said, if you wanted to, you could preach on something else. And I looked at what he was preaching on, and I said, I think I'll choose something else. <laughs> so, uh, so then I asked him, I said, is there a way I could uh, maybe get a, a sermon outline to the people? And he said, yeah, contact Lisa in our office, and she'll take care of that. So, I just want to say a special thank you to Lisa for uh, uh, not only getting the sermon outline in your bulletins, but I don't know if you noticed the, the, the bulletin cover. After I get done preaching my sermon, you'll see how great that sermon, uh, I mean, that bulletin cover fits with, uh, with my message. So anyway, Lisa, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Today, I want us to talk about... Uh, uh, a passage of scripture found in the book of Matthew, uh, the gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter. And I think if we get lucky and, uh, and I uh, connect with our guys up front, you'll have the, the scripture on the, on the screen there. There it is. Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, those disciples, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So today, I just want to Think a little bit about what does it take to walk on water? What does it take to walk on water? So in your outline, the first section is prerequisites for walking on water. And, and the first, uh, first slide would say, in order to walk on water, your desire to get to Jesus must be greater than your fear. Your desire to get to Jesus... It's got to be greater than your fear. Because if your fear is greater than that desire to get to Jesus, it will keep you in the boat. 
There were 11 other men in that boat, and none of them got out. Their fear was too great. But Peter wanted to get to Jesus. He wanted to join this man who had the power to walk on water. And he wanted that more than he feared what might happen. So he got out of the boat. Second, you must be willing to fail. See, if we're only willing to try those things for God that we know for sure we can do, we'll never attempt anything beyond our own abilities and we'll never let God use us to accomplish His miracles. My son John was a huge Michael Jordan fan when he was growing up. And when he got older, he sent me this quote from a Michael Jordan poster that he had hanging in his room. And it was a quote from Michael Jordan which said, Michael said, I have missed 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost over 300 games. 26 times I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I have succeeded. You see, if you're going to accomplish anything for Jesus, you must be willing to fail sometimes. Third, you must have a firm commitment to Jesus. How firm does your commitment to Jesus need to be? Pastor Richard Latham says, your faith must be such that Jesus will have faith in your faith. <laughs> Jesus needs to know that when he says, come, you'll come. We often think about our faith in Jesus has to be great enough. Do we have enough faith in Jesus that he'll do what he says he will do? Have you ever thought about Jesus needs to have faith in your faith, that you'll have faith in him so that he can use you for that? Fourth, you must learn that the first step is the hardest. See, if Satan can convince you that what Jesus is asking you to do is impossible, you'll never get out of the boat. You'll never be willing to take that first step. If he can undermine your confidence in Jesus by keeping your focus on yourself and your limited abilities instead of Jesus and his unlimited resources, you'll never even get started. The first step is the hardest. So here's a question for you. What is that first step for you? What has God been calling you to do for Him that you haven't yet done? What first step do you need to take? Let me tell you, the first step really is the hardest. But if you're willing to take it, you'll find that Jesus will be there. Not only for that step, but for the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and every one you take after that. He will be there for you. And as a church, what is that next step for you? That step that, that Satan is trying to convince you all that uh, uh, it's, it's just too impossible. It's, it, it's too scary. 
I encourage you to seek where Jesus is asking you as a congregation to take that next step and then take it. Take a risk. See what God will do. So those are the prerequisites for walking on water. Next, I want to go to the rules for walking on water. The first rule, don't look at the waves. Back in the days of of farming, when everyone was doing their plowing with mules, not with tractors, but with mules or horses, a farmer would always pride himself on having a straight row. You could stand at the end of his field and you could look down the row of of grain, corn or cotton or, or whatever it might be, and you could see that if that farmer had done his job well, uh, those rows were perfectly straight. Well, a young man moved into one of these farming communities uh, and started uh, to farm a section of land, and it soon became apparent <coughs> excuse me, that this was his first try at farming as his rows were not very straight. So one day while visiting a neighboring farmer, the young man asked him how he got his rows plowed so straight. And the old farmer said, it's easy. You pick out an object at the opposite end of the field from where you start, such as a tree or a fence post. You line it up between your mule's ears and you go straight at it. You want to walk on water? You want to take that first step and get out of the boat? Then you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your focus on Jesus. You can't look at the waves. You you have to stay focused on Jesus. Satan will do everything he can to distract you. He'll make the waves higher and higher, and he'll make the wind howl and blow even more fiercely. But Jesus will always be there where you can see him straight ahead. So you got to keep your gaze focused on him. Even if the waves threaten to block your view of him, Jesus has that ability, that power, and that willingness to keep himself there. The wave may pass through, but he'll still be there. So don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Trust him. Trust him to be there for you. Remember who walked on the waves first. And keep your eyes on the miracle worker. Second, second rule, don't listen to the boat people. (laughs) How, How many people got out of the boat? One. I can just imagine the rest of them telling Peter, don't you dare step out of there. Are you crazy? You'll sink. You'll never make it. Peter, you're an idiot if you think you can walk on water. Use your head. Think, man. It's impossible for you to walk on water. How many times do we have people around us who are telling us, you can't do that. That's impossible. Don't even try. You're crazy. You'll never make it. You will never amount to much. You're an idiot if you think you can trust Jesus to help you. And what's even worse is when those people who are telling you those things are in the church. Oops, somebody said. The people in the boat with Peter were also disciples. They were in the same boat as he was. 
They saw the same Jesus. They heard the same invitation to come, but they stayed in the boat. So don't listen to the boat people. They'll keep you from following Jesus. They'll try and talk you out of taking that risky first step and trying something that Jesus is calling you to do that just doesn't make sense. So don't listen to the boat people. Third, third rule, don't look at your feet. Now, this is different than letting the waves distract you from Jesus. Because one of the things that can so easily happen in our life when we actually do step out of the boat and we actually do start walking on water is, is we begin to think, wow, how cool is this? Look at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm walking on water. And we get our eyes off Jesus. And we forget that he is the source for our success, for our accomplishment. And we, we start looking at our feet, at what we are doing. But you know, when we do that, Sooner or later, we're in for a fall. Sooner or later, we'll begin to sink. You see, we have this dichotomy, this paradox. On the one hand, we dare not think too highly of ourselves. We dare not begin to think that somehow we are the ones accomplishing what God is doing. But on the other hand, neither should we think too lowly of ourselves. We dare not think that, that God could never use us. We dare not think that, that we are too insignificant, too ordinary, too flawed for God to use. Because God can use the very least, the very worst, the very most inadequate if they're willing to get out of the boat, to step out in faith and let God use them. Let God work his amazing miracles and power through them. Okay, so we've had the prerequisites, we've had the rules, now here's the rewards for walking on the water. First, you get to do some great things for Jesus. You get to do great things for God. Sometimes our lives get into a rut, a routine. There's work, and there, there's time with family and church and taking care of the lawn, and, and there's getting the kids ready for school and, and doing housework and shopping, and there's after-school sports or piano practice or, or going to the Y, and, and it's not a bad rut. In fact, even though it keeps us busy, maybe too busy, it's a nice rut. It's, it, it's a comfortable routine. It's a good life. All too often, it can lead to spiritual complacency. It takes the edge off of our living for Jesus. It dulls our ardor for kingdom work. It helps us settle for mediocrity, complacency as a follower of Jesus. But Jesus did not come to ask us to live a life of comfortable complacency. He came to call us to live life with Him. Going where he calls, stepping out of the boat, attempting things for him we would never think possible. Things that in, in God's eyes and in his kingdom are great things. And we get to be a part of that. I remember when I was, I had just turned 19, the end of my freshman year at college. Uh, I went to Warner Pacific and my, my parents were pastoring in Auburn, Washington. And uh, I came home for the summer. 
uh, between my freshman and, and sophomore years of college and uh, worked at a full-time job that I had worked at the previous year for the, for the school district. And uh, uh, I, I had played in, in the high school band uh, all, all the years I was in high school. And our band teacher, who I loved dearly, uh, had developed a, a summer program, uh, kind of a summer band, where uh, the, the kids that were in the high school could, could play in it, but also any people in the community that wanted to join, especially those that maybe had, you know, were alumni of, of that band. And so, so I was excited about uh, being a part of that, uh, of that summer band. So um, my parents and my younger sister went back to Anderson, Indiana for uh, what we then called camp meeting, but I think now they call it international convention or something like that. Um, so I was home alone uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, so I'd go to work in the morning, and, and in the evening I'd go to a band rehearsal or a, or a band performance or something. And um, I remember one evening I, I got off work and uh, came home and uh, fixed myself a sumptuous meal of hot dogs. <laughs> Because, you know, I was 19. Uh, anyway, I, was, I, I just was getting ready to put the, put the hot dogs in, the, in the, the pan of boiling water to boil them when the doorbell rang. And I went to the doorbell, and, and there was this man standing there who, well, you could just tell he was homeless. He was a transient. Uh, you could tell by his appearance. And uh, he... He looked at me, and he said, can you help me? And I thought, ooh, uh, I, I, I don't know. What do you need? <laughs> he said, they told me that you could help me. And all of a sudden, it clicked. My, my parents, uh, my, my dad, uh, was a part of the, of the local ministerial fellowship, uh, in fact, I think that year my dad was the chairman of that local ministerial fellowship. And the local ministers had, uh, had developed a, a strategy for helping the homeless that would come into the community. Not near as many as we're, as we're dealing with now, but still, uh, you know, there would, there would be homeless that would come through uh, the community periodically and, and need some help, and how did the churches help them? Well, you know, we could give them food, but, but none of us had really a good place to, to help them stay. So uh, those local pastors uh, developed a, a relationship with a, with a local motel, and, uh, and so they would take uh, this, this homeless person to the motel, and, uh, and, then, and then the ministerial fellowship would be billed and, and, and cover the cost for, for that guy to, to be able to stay there. I knew a little bit about that, you know, but uh, I didn't know which motel it was. I had no clue. Uh, and um, I'd grown up, I, I, you know, graduated from high school there. And, and in our high school, <coughs> we had, uh, we had a, a fifth quarter after football and basketball games where uh, youth from uh, five or six or seven different churches all, all got together. There was only one high school in the community, and, and we just hung out together. So I'd gotten to know some of the other pastors and some of the other people in the churches, and, uh, and it struck me, oh, somebody, a police or somebody, brought this guy to my dad's house and dropped him up because my dad was the guy that would take care of this homeless guy and take him to the motel and, and, and help him out and set him up. But my dad wasn't home, just me. Uh, so I said, 
okay, I invited him to come into the house, and he was standing there by the front door, and I went over to the phone, and I called the three or four other ministers that I knew, that I thought maybe one of them could help me out. Could None of them were home. None of them. Not one of them answered the phone, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so I thought, what do I do? And then I realized, I need, I need to get to my band practice pretty soon. Uh, and as I was wrestling with all of that and thinking, uh, uh, you know, the easy way out and what I was really tempted to do was just to say, I'm sorry, but, but I can't help you. And, and, you know, let him go. But God said something to me. God was speaking in my head, and God was saying, you help him, Glenn. You help him. Me? Okay. At that moment in my life, that was Jesus calling me to step out of my boat, to do a risky thing, to, to take a risk. He, he was calling me, Jesus was calling me to trust him. So I didn't know what else to do. So I invited him in. I uh, said, are you hungry? He said, yes. I put on some extra hot dogs. I, I've never seen anybody eat hot dogs faster in my life. He just scarfed those things down. And I thought, I wonder if I got some more in the fridge. Yeah. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I ate my couple of hot dogs. He ate his and I realized I... I, I need to go to my band thing, so do I dare do this? Um, my brother and I had, had our bedrooms down in the basement. My brother was already uh, out of the house, older than me. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> my older sister was out of the house too. My younger sister and my parents, their bedrooms were up on the, on the, on the main level of the, of the house. <clears throat> and I thought, <clears throat> what do I do? Aha, I'll let him stay in my sister's room. <laughs> She's gone. I, I don't think I've ever told Rita this, but, you know, <laughs> so <clears throat> that's uh, Scott's mom, Scott Water's mom. Uh, so anyway, I took him into the, <clears throat> showed him my sister's room. <clears throat> I said, you're welcome to sleep here if you want. He looked at the bed, he flopped down on the bed, and it seemed like he was out like that, you know, and, and uh, I went to my summer band practice. I don't know how God did it, but somehow he totally made me forget all about this guy. I had fun at the band. I, I, you know, and then I came home and as I was walk, getting ready to walk in the door, I remembered, oh no, I left this guy in my house. What is the house going to be like? Is it going to be trashed? Has he stolen everything? My mind just went, you know, uh, a mile a minute thinking of, of all the disastrous things that, that, that this guy could have done because I left him there alone. Uh, and I'm thinking, boy, how am I going to, how am I going to, fortunately, I thought, you know, when I tell the story to my folks, even though they'll be upset with me for, for doing this dumb thing, I think they'll at least understand because of who they were and the kind of people they were. And they would have, they would have at least felt like I, I, I tried, you know, to do what I thought God wanted. And, and maybe, you know, they'd be a little gracious and forgive me for, you know, so I thought, ah, dear. So I opened the door and I walked in the house and, and I looked around. It didn't look like anything was different. I thought, okay, that's good. I didn't hear any noise, anything like that. So, so I, I kind of walked quietly down the hall 
to my sister's room and I creaked open the door and there he was still sound asleep just like he had, I had left him. He just flopped there and he was so tired that he slept. He slept the whole night. I got him up early in the morning because I'd had a little bit of a conversation with him and I knew that one of the things he wanted to do was to go pick strawberries uh, in, in the strawberry fields. I'd done that as a kid, so I knew, I knew that routine. So uh, I got him up, uh, gave him breakfast, packed him a peanut butter and jelly lunch just like mine, uh, took him to the bus stop for the strawberry pickers, and went on to my summer job. God showed me in that experience that he would take care of things if I was willing to step out of the boat. Second, you get to fail. When talking about the prerequisites for walking on water, one of my points was you must be willing to fail. Now I'm bringing it up again, but this time as a reward. How can failure be a reward? Well, Peter got out of the boat. He started walking on the water, and then he failed. He took his eyes off Jesus He looked at all the obstacles and and all the impossibilities, and he began to sink. He failed. But then he looked back at Jesus, cried out to him, and was lifted up by Jesus. And he got to resume walking on the water with Jesus. Do you understand that greatness comes out of failure? And we get to fail. Because God wants to teach us that failure isn't the end if we don't give up. If we look back at the one who has promised to be there with us every step of the day and every step of the way. Most great discoveries and inventions, most successes, they come out of repeated failures. Thomas Edison is attributed with failing over 10,000 times to invent a commercially viable electric light bulb. But he did not give up. When he was asked by a newspaper reporter if he felt like a failure and if he should give up after having gone through over 9,000 failed attempts to create this light bulb, Edison simply stated, Why should I feel like a failure? And why would I ever give up? I now know definitely over 9,000 ways an electric light bulb won't work. Success is almost in my grasp. This is also the same person whose teachers said he was too stupid to learn anything and fired from his first two jobs for not being productive enough. However, Edison, through his failures, is also the greatest innovator of all time with over 1,093 U.S. patents to his name. We get to fail and that's okay and sometimes rewards come from the effort Peter got to walk with Jesus Jesus reached down picked him up when he failed God showed me with that transient that that he would take care of things if I was willing to step out of the boat now you would think that that experience would have driven that lesson home so deeply that I would never have to struggle with stepping out in faith again, right? 
But just like Peter, a new crisis comes along, a new challenge, a new opportunity, and all over again, I have to choose to trust God. I have to choose to take that first step, to be willing to try, be willing to fail, to trust, fail, trust, take that first step all over again. I wish my previous successful faith experiences were sufficient. But though they were for that moment, and though they may have prepared me for this moment, what I learned and what I experienced as a 19-year-old with a transient is not sufficient for this moment. This moment requires a new step of faith on my part. It's a lesson I need to relearn over and over again. Sometimes I hear God's voice, I take the risk, and I see God at work. Sometimes I listen to other voices, the voice of reason or common sense or fear, and I don't take that step. And then God has to use someone else or watch someone suffer because I didn't step up to help. I didn't step out of the boat. Third, third reward. You get to see things as Jesus sees them. Who gets ragged on the most in this story? Peter. But who didn't even get out of the boat? Everybody else. Think about it. At some point, after Peter had failed and Jesus had pulled him back up, Peter is walking side by side with Jesus on the water as they head back to the boat. And Peter gets to see things from Jesus' perspective. He's no longer seeing the wind and the waves from the perspective of those in the boat. He now sees them as under the authority of Jesus Christ. He now sees things as Jesus sees them. Who stepped out of the boat? Only Peter. Who do you think grew more in his faith? Who had the more intense and intimate experience with Jesus? Who received a deeper, more personal blessing? Peter did, the one who stepped out of the boat. And he's the one who gained a new perspective, who got to see things as Jesus sees them. And last, you get to worship Jesus as never before. You know what happened after Jesus and Peter got back and climbed into the boat? Let me remind you what it says. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Listen, my friends, if, if you want to take your worship of Jesus to a whole new level, step out of the boat. When he says, come, go. Try trusting God for something that he's laid on your heart to do and watch him work. Because when you see Jesus do things that are beyond belief, you, you will be filled with such awe, such reverence, such amazing 
awareness that God is at work, you will be so overwhelmed by the amazing love and grace and mercy along with the incredible power that you see at work through God in Jesus that you too will fall on your knees before him and worship as never before. Walk on water, take the risk, step out of the boat, the rewards are well worth it, both for you and for the people that God will touch through you when you do. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us stranded in the boat in the rough water. Thank you for coming out to us. Thank you for inviting us to step out of the boat, take a risk, trust you, and see you work. May we be blessed as we step out of the boat. In your name we pray, amen.